Too many of America's kids today don't know who or what to believe about much of anything anymore, and that includes what to believe about themselves. I'm talking about obvious and fundamental things like, am I a boy or am I really a girl? Am I inferior because of the color of my skin? Could I actually be a racist without realizing it? Or is my country systemically racist? You know, childhood can be a confusing time, a time when our kids' values, worldview, and brain matter are still being developed most. It's when their security, identity, and emotional and spiritual well-being are all being established. So not being sure about the most basic truths of life only exacerbates this confusion, especially at a time when mental illness really is becoming systemic in our nation. Have the red, white, and blue of our United States actually become the red, white, and black of our divided states? Is your child really a racist? Are you? Today, a look at who, what, and where we really are as a people. And is it possible to be redemptive people living in a redemptive nation? That's today on License to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to the broadcast where we never seem to ask the easy questions. Uh, I'm Rich Rosl. Joining me today in the studio, as he does every week, is our host, Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with teens in crisis and, by extension, their families. And Trace, you and the team at Shepherd's Hill have now been serving broken families of every creed and color for well over 20 years. Uh, so from your seat, would you say you've seen any systemic racism with your families or the kids who are enrolling at Shepherd's Hill? No. I mean, Shepherd's Hill has had kids from virtually every behavioral, uh, uh, with every behavioral issue and disorder under the sun, but racism isn't one of them. Uh, because we hear so much about America being a systemically racist nation, uh, I think it's important that I share a quick story. I went on a Memorial Day motorcycle ride recently. It started in Loganville, Georgia. People from all races, some with more tattoos than teeth, donned their leathers for a two-hour, 70-mile ride. I could have never realized the power and magnitude of this event when I was invited to it. Rich, over 1,000 motorcycles stretched too wide for five miles long. Mm. But that's not what amazed me. What amazed me was something I wish CNN, MSNBC, and other mainstream media outlets could have witnessed. I'd call it American solidarity. Look, I've never fought in a war, nor have I found or had a relative or, uh, or a friend who, who, who died in one. Yet, I soon felt as if I had, because along the city streets, the country roads, and in the small towns of New Hope, Monroe, Madison, and, and others, people lined the streets, waving their hands and their American flags with these big, wide smiles in yeah. anticipation of our coming. Now, these were old antebellum towns, yet jubilance and an endless supply of American flags, big and small, could be seen for virtually all 70 of those miles. And we had a police escort, so we never had to stop for signs or traffic lights. Motorists coming the other way, pulled over to stop and wave and cheer, and virtually everyone was filming us with, with their smartphones as we rode by. With their, their, their coolers and snacks, entire families pulled up to the side of the road with their lawn chairs and their rocking chairs and, and their wheelchairs to cheer us and, and wave us on. And many did it from their front porches. In the country, they sat on their John Deere tractors cheering and waving. And in one <laughs> town, I saw this lady jumping and shouting and clapping as we passed. And in my rearview mirror, I never saw her stop. 
farmhouses wow. far off the road could be seen with folks on their front porches waving American flags big enough to color a, cover a king-size bed. Multitudes of black people were standing with multitudes of white people, Hispanic and Asian people, and virtually all of them were enthusiastically waving like, like we were war heroes. It was like we'd, we were the troops in Sherman's army in December of 1864. That's how electric the feeling was. People were holding their babies and had them waving their little hands and little flags at us, and, and yet during the entire 70 miles, now get this, during the entire 70 miles of this very emotional antebellum ride, Rich, I didn't see one rebel flag. Wow. Not one. Teary-eyed. And I was. I was boo-hooing. I, I remember thinking to myself, where's the systemic racism I keep hearing about on the news? Where's the cause to hate America for her past sins? When do we forgive one another, forgive ourselves, and just, just move on? I mean, certainly these people had already done that. And they weren't removed from the reality of their history by living in New York or Seattle or L.A. either. They were living right here where it all happened. Yet they were jubilant and grateful for all those who truly gave that last full measure of devotion. And we represented that to them. Hmm. You know, in light of all this, I hearken back to one of the most profound things that I've heard in a long time. And it came out of the mouth of today's guest. Here's what he said. He said, America has always been a redemptive nation. No nation should be defined by the worst of what they once were. Is that rich or what? Yeah. But in the news and in their schools, our American kids are now being taught that America should be defined by the worst of what we once were. Even though it cost this nation 600,000 men, white and black, to give evidence to the contrary, and many thousands more since. Redemption wasn't born in the USA, but I was, and I'm old enough to remember that by God's grace, we've always tried to right our wrongs. I happen to think it's because we used to rely on God and, and his word to tell us what right and wrong actually were. Mm. As Americans, Rich, we, we used to know something about the power and the beauty of redemption. Self-flagellation can never be the answer to America's sinful past. Forgiveness is, and I'm honored to have a man on our licensed parent broadcast who can aptly speak objectively and wisely about this subject. Mm, as am I. Bob Woodson is our guest today, and Mr. Woodson is recognized that in a rush to redefine the place of black Americans in a contemporary society, many radical activists and academics have been working very hard to destroy traditional American history and to replace it with a politicized version that I think, Trace, very few of us would recognize. Mm. Now, according to the new version of our history, the U.S. was founded as a racist nation, and everything that's happened throughout our history has to be viewed through that lens. Now, Mr. Woodson is among a collection of prominent and respected black scholars and thinkers that reject this false narrative. Uh, they have come together to correct the record and to try to tell the true story of black Americans in all its complexity, diversity of experience, and poignancy. And collectively, they paint a very vivid picture of black people living the grand American experience, however bumpy that road may be along the way. But rather than a people apart, he sees blacks as being woven into the united whole that makes this nation unique in history. Uh, Mr. Woodson has curated and edited a collection of essays on the subject in a brand new book that we're going to be talking about today. It's called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. In addition to his work on the book, uh, he's devoted his career to helping low-income people transcend their impoverished conditions. In fact, he's written 
uh, exclusively on issues of poverty and empowerment, including his books, Lessons from the Least of These and The Triumphs of Joseph, How Today's Community Healers Are Reviving Our Streets and Neighborhoods. But again, we're here talking about red, white, and black rescuing American history from revisionists and race hustlers. Bob Woodson and his wife Ellen have three grown children, and they live in Silver Spring, Maryland. Well, I could call him Dr. Woodson. I could call him Mr. Woodson. But before we started the program, he asked me to call him Bob. So, Bob, welcome to License of Parent. It is an absolute honor to have you on. Well, thank you. That name, Bob, was good for my mom, so it's good for, for me. <laughs> I get it. Which is not <laughs> to say his mother was named Bob. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> Somebody might ask me, Trace, why, why are you having a civil rights leader on a program that's supposed to be helping parents effectively raise their kids in today's culture? So, uh, Bob, how would you answer that question? Well, first of all, civil rights um, extends beyond the issue of race. Mm -hmm. I am a veteran of the civil rights movement, but civil rights has always been related to, as Dr. King said, what good does it do if you have the right to live in the uh, neighborhood of your choosing or eat in a restaurant of your choice if you don't have the means to exercise that right? So economic access and, and development is critical to exercising in the use of freedom. And, and so what, what we did as, a, as an organization for the last 40 years that have successfully served thousands of grassroots leaders, black, white, brown, uh, 2,500 of them in 39 states. Uh, and when, uh, at a, uh, like, your, like your experience, at our conferences that we've held over the years, Racial antagonism never came up because 80% of the people we serve have letters in front of their names, not letters behind their names. Mm -hmm. They're they're Mm ex-something, ex-drug addicts, ex-gangbangers. These are people in search of redemption. And so the Woodson Center has been actively bringing together and promoting redemption and transformation uh, among people living in these communities. And it's because of America's founding values that black America has been able to survive slavery and discrimination. And because the radical left is using race, they have attached themselves like a parasite to the legacy of civil rights in America. It's expressed in the 1619 Project in New York Times since the messenger and the issue of civil rights, we thought the messenger to counter that should also be black-led to take the whole racial issue off the table. And so we have come together not to engage in more debate, but to offer a clarifying narrative that's inspirational and aspirational. Uh, one of the claims of the, the radical left is that the problems of violence in the black communities out of wedlock births is somehow a legacy of slavery and Jim Crow. Well, this is patently untrue. It's, it's unhistoric. So what we do in our essays, in our book, we go back and talk about when, when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. It was on the foundation of faith, family, and self-determination that blacks were able to survive. We looked at the records of six plantations after slavery. 75% of all black families since slave had a man and a woman raising children. And for a, a century, 
two-parent households prevailed in the black community, and, and we, we were able to close the education gap in the South between 1920 and 1940 because of the establishment of 5,000 Rosenwald of Booker T. Washington schools. Rosenwald was the CEO of Sears. And we were able to close the education gap during the, the 10 years of the Depression. The, the marriage rate of black community was higher than any other group. So it is on the blacks have been able to spy, survive and thrive because of the foundation of faith, family and self-determination. And so we are really troubled by the fact that the radical left now is trying to denigrate these and, and say that somehow America is. Uh, uh, inherently racist, which is patently untrue. And, but the voices of opposition is coming from the black community. And so we, we hope to continue to push back to, to tell America that we love this country. Blacks are fought in every war. And, and not one has been ever convicted of treason. And so we're telling the real story of America. Amen. Listen, I applaud your work, brother. I, I, I really, really do. And you, you mentioned people with letters behind their name. You know, I, I say quite often on this program, we got a lot of people with a lot of letters behind their name here at Shepherd's Hill, but they're no fools. But I say, there's no fool like the educated fool. And uh, there are a lot of them out there. And uh, I just, again, applaud what you're doing. Can you tell us a little bit about your, your 1776 Unites campaign, why you started it and what you hope to accomplish through it? Because 1619 claims and produced a document called 1619, the New York Times, <laughs> Nicole Hannah-Jones brought together black uh, journalists and, and artists to paint a, a picture that, that says America should be defined not by 1776, the Declaration of Independence, but 1619, where the first 20 African slaves appeared on, this, on, on our shores, and therefore, uh, America should be defined by slavery and capitalism is associated with white supremacy, and therefore all whites are are victimizers uh, to be uh, punished and forever condemned, and all blacks are victims. And this is really a, a grotesque misinterpretation uh, of history, and so we wanted to produce a document so people could read that would challenge this notion and put the real history of America uh, on record. So we produced this a book that is a collection of essays, many of them historical, but that documents the fact that blacks uh, achieved, um, there was 20 blacks who, who were born slaves who died millionaires, Two of them wow. actually purchased a plantation on which they were slaves and took in the destitute family of the slave master in an act of what radical grace. Mm -hmm. And so when we were denied access to hotels, we built our own in every city. In the city of uh, in, in Chicago, Bronzeville, Texas, in 1929, blacks established 731 businesses a hundred million in real estate assets with an out of wedlock birth of something like 12%. And so in our essays, we talk about America is only in, in a, in a country that, that promotes freedom and justice. Can you have people who are born slaves 
who are died a millionaire. Only in this, we are the only nation on the face of the earth that had a, an emancipation proclamation. We're the only nation that fought a war to end slavery. And so when you were talking about your motorcycle ride, the same enthusiasm for this country abides inside black communities, but the, but the facts are not reported. 80% of blacks surveyed do not support defunding the police. 60% do not believe that racial discrimination is a principal barrier to their future. So the messages that are coming out supposedly representing black community are false prophets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we're, we're always talking about Romans 5, 3, and 4 here on this broadcast. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope is the number one killer of teenagers today. I mean, uh, they say they have no hope. And, and I'm scratching my head thinking, okay, you have no hope in the richest nation on the planet. And most of these, these suicides are not coming from the inner city kids. They're coming from from uh, uh, suburban, well-to-do white kids, for the most it's part. It's six times the national average in, in Silicon Valley. Well, there you go. Six there there you na- go. In Silicon Valley, six times the national average. Yeah. So if you back that scripture up, our, our affluent, pampered, entitled, selfish, narcissistic kids are attempting suicide because they have no hope. They have no hope because they have no right. character. They have no character because it was never developed through perseverance. They've never persevered through anything because they never first struggled for anything. They've had everything. This is exactly why we take all of that, including air conditioning, running water, electricity, and cell phones, away from these kids when they spend a whole year here at Shepherd's Hill. And it's kind of like rebuilding an old piece of furniture or an old antique car. You strip it down to nothing, paint it up, oil it up, put the pieces back together, and now you've got yourself a new piece. But Rich is telling us we're up against a break, and we'll continue after this. We do need to take a quick break. Our guest today on Licensed to Parent is Bob Woodson. He's the editor of the book we've been discussing today called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. We'll be right back. In today's digital age, there's more access than ever to digital devices. With technology constantly evolving to make our lives easier, is it any wonder that many feel as though they just can't live without it? Digital addiction can be just as chemically debilitating as drugs. Time in front of a screen can drastically affect the life of your child. For starters, your child may choose technology over simple things like playing outside and engaging in exercise, acquiring a job and gaining life experience. To learn more about how digital addiction can affect your child, visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org, click on Resources, and look for the article, What is Digital Addiction? Parenting isn't easy. Shepherd's Hill Academy wants to equip you with resources for all areas and issues of life. Discover a variety of ebooks, podcasts, links, and more to help you navigate the parenting landscape. HelpMyTroubledTeen.org. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. 
Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. This is Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy. Our host, as always, is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherds Hill, and I'm Rich Rosel. And our guest today on the program is Bob Woodson. Uh, Bob has, uh, I guess we could say, curated and edited a book of essays that we're discussing today called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. You'll find that book wherever you get your books. And Bob... Um, I guess one of the questions is, why do you feel, and I think you were saying this during the break, that racism really needs to be taken off the table of discussion? What's, what's the more prominent and necessary conversation that we need to be having with our kids these days? But I can tell you, as a veteran of the civil, I don't know what systemic or institutional racism is. I have seen no evidence of it. America has made a profound uh, improvement. But it is important, uh, what we're trying to do at the Woodson Center is really take race off of the table. It needs to be, because it's dividing us. The more critical crisis facing America is the moral and spiritual freefall that is consuming our young people. That one of the, in, in Silicon Valley, the leading, one of the leading cause of deaths of, of teenagers there is six times the national average suicide in Silicon Valley. It is homicide among black teens in the inner city. Among low-income whites in Appalachia, it's, it's uh, prescription drugs. And, and so it is important what we're trying to do at the Woodson Center. We are reaching out to representatives in each of these communities. We have a group called the Voices of Black Mothers United. These are 2,500 black moms in seven cities who've lost their children to urban violence. They are supporting the police. They are providing aid and comfort to other moms who have suffered. So they are going to reach out to uh, Appalachian moms and also the moms from Silicon Valley to see if we can bring a coalition of these moms together so they can begin to provide support to one another and for us to come together as Americans across race and class lines to explore ways that we can fill this emptiness that is in the lives and hearts of our children. But we can't do that if we have to look at each other through the prism of race. I get distracted by it from the real issues that are, that are going on. You know, if we could see everyone and everything through the eyes of the God who created us, yes, wouldn't that eliminate so much? But we've kicked God out of everything, and it's like he's an afterthought. And I, I'm wondering, uh, Bob, why don't enough people uh, exercise their freedom of speech to start saying uh, uh, what needs to be said? Our fundamental problem is a spiritual problem in America, and we need to get back to to uh, uh, the basics, the fundamentals. And uh, our our creator, not the creation, is that fundamental void I see in America today. It's, it's not our money and God we trust, but we don't trust God. We don't even believe he exists anymore. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I agree. I have to quote my one of my old mentors, the late Pastor Freddy Garcia, who was a recovered drug addict and led 100,000 people to Christ away from drugs. He said that I wasn't saved when I called upon Freud or Plato. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. I wasn't saved when I called upon Aristotle, he said, or Freud. He said, I was saved when I called upon the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what we Amen. do at the Woodson Center, the, the, we, we take people who are witnesses to redemption, and they are the ones who do outreach to others, because nothing is more powerful than a witness. That's right. That's right. And, and, and while we're on the subject of fairness, let me just say this. Can you parse out the difference? Because we hear a lot uh, of these two terms, equality and equity. Uh, can you tell us the difference in the two? Equality means the opportunity, equal opportunity to, to perform. Equity means everybody gets the same trophy. <laughs> yeah, you In go. other words, equity is, is, is guaranteeing equal results. Yeah. It's like telling kids who are going to compete in a contest, everybody should get, in fairness would require everybody to get a trophy, whether you deserve it or not. My kids right. absolutely hated that. <laughs> So they, they would so compete fine. in different things, and if everybody got the same thing, no matter what you did, they didn't even want to join. Yeah. It's like exactly. this is ridiculous. But that's what equity is. Yeah. That's what yeah. equity is. Yeah. My son-in-law, uh, we had this conversation a while back, uh, several years ago, and he said, you know what? I often wondered why I didn't give a flying flip about all those trophies I had on my... He's a, he's a millennial. He was 35 years old uh, on, my, uh, on my dresser. Um, Today's parents and, and their kids uh, have enough legitimate, unjust, and problematic things to navigate in, in, in today's society without having to navigate contrived ones. Uh, what should parents be telling their kids about systemic racism? Um, you know, it may be in a, uh, in a sentence. What should we tell our kids so that they can remember it? Uh, because I think they think... A lot of our kids do think that America is a systemically racist nation. What can parents share with them to, to counter that? Well, first of all, there are, uh, there are lots of black people who do not agree with that. I mean, that's why, look at some of the essays. Let Quote what blacks say about this. Yeah, but I think we really need to treat it with the level of unseriousness that it really is. I agree. It's a dangerous preoccupation because it exempts black children from any personal responsibility, and nothing is more lethal than a good excuse for failing. Mm. It's the worst thing in the world to tell someone, I think as Chuck Swindell said, 10% of our life are our external circumstance. 90% of who we are is our response to the 10%. Yeah. yeah. On that note, I'm going to have to put a period on this particular program because we're out of time. But we have asked Mr. Woodson to stay with us for another week of conversation, and we'll uh, get to that in our next episode. You've been listening to Licensed to Parent, where our guest has been Bob Woodson, editor of the book we've been discussing today, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. And you'll find that book wherever books are sold. You can also learn more about the work that Bob Woodson has been doing for quite some time uh, and his ongoing work by going to woodsoncenter.org. That's woodsoncenter.org. 
And that does wrap up today's edition of Licensed to Parent. Remember, you can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter and at LicensedToParent.org. Now, we produce this program each week to help parents be more proactive in the parenting choices they make so that they can raise physically, mentally, and spiritually healthy kids. If you'd like to help us continue the work that we do here on the program and in larger part of the organization we serve, Shepherd's Hill Academy, we'd love to have you join us. Your tax-deductible contribution in any amount can provide scholarships to families needing residential care for their teens and can certainly make a difference in a hurting child's life. So please consider donating today when you visit LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on License to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you to join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. We'll see you next time.